Welcome back. Welcome in a brand new season of college football here at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. This is Country Roads Confidential. And Chris Anderson, this is the day before the day that we feared might not arrive. Can I take my hands off my eyes yet? I'm not taking my hands off my eyes until Eastern Kentucky actually is in Morgantown and on that sideline because it's the Friday test. It's this afternoon's test that all the answers come to. So I'm knock on wood here. I'm not setting anything up. I'm not trying to disappoint anybody, but I'm not easing up and getting comfortable until right before kickoff. Seems to me that we were really hard on Eastern Kentucky, rightfully so, for the way it was handling its business three weeks ago, a month ago. I wonder now as we get close and we see the news and the RT percentage again leading the country in West Virginia. Mon County is pretty bad in spots now with some behavior and some trends that are kind of going against the intended green. And I wonder now if Eastern Kentucky is going, aha, how dare you guys? We're the ones who are wearing white coming to town here. And all of a sudden it seems like the roles have been reversed. And um, I heard that the testing is okay. Like some GAs were affected. I haven't heard anything about players or assistant coaches or the head coach or anything like that. Now, you're right. That Friday test is big. We're recording this on Thursday. So they tested yesterday on Wednesday. You get those back. Ideally, by Thursday, maybe Friday morning, you test again Friday and you know who you have by the time you go to bed Friday night. But it just seems inevitable that there's going to be some disruption this first game, right? I think so. Uh, uh, maybe not the last time we talked, but maybe the time before I said it was it was amazing that West Virginia had zero at that point uh, as far as players go, zero positive tests in the last month to six weeks. That just seemed absurd to me. I, I would always assume that there would be some. I mean, I think most everybody assumed there would be some. It was all because the discussion was actually, what's an acceptable number of positive tests? What's an acceptable number before we have to shut things down. And, and then the Big 12 came out with some of those numbers, and we talked about that. But I had always assumed that I would say good, even great, was if you had 10 to 15 guys test positive out of, a, you know, out of, again, out of, I'm talking walk-ons and everybody. So you're talking 100 some players and then staffers and coaches on top of that. So if you can get 10 or 15, you're in great shape. And West Virginia technically at zero-ish, somewhere around there, maybe a handful. We'll wait and see until Friday, but uh, sounds like it's going to be under that number, which is which is good news. It also sounds like they're not going to tell us. Like They don't ever tell us about injuries anyways. And now that I won't be in the press box to pester people this first game. Um, sorry, Chris, I hope you don't get mad about that. <laughs> but they're just not going to tell us. They don't have to, and they won't. And they're just going to say we're not doing this. Brown kind of hinted at that on Tuesday because – Someone asked about injuries, and he said Alston, Taj Austin, was the only one who was out and that he wasn't going to really update this because he'd be in the habit of doing it Wednesday, for, or I guess you know, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday. And frankly, he doesn't have to because the Big 12 necessitated no sort of reporting mechanism. So we might not even know until kickoff or even after the game if someone's out or for what reason. So um, wish they had done better. Did not expect that, though. Kind of figured they would just be like uh, – Screw you guys. Figure it out on your own. We don't owe you anything. Well, I assume, as I said, I don't know if they're going to be full Lincoln Riley here and just tell everybody to forget it and put out 
not name anything and and then release depth charts with guys that are suspended and got a couple guys that may not even be on the team anymore just to just as a big f you to everybody that that is asking those questions um but i thought we might get and they've been pretty good about this in the past you maybe good maybe like maybe more than pretty good but once we get to or right near kickoff it's these people are not available like right before i'm not talking you know friday even or even three hours before kickoff i'm talking 15 minutes before kickoff hey these guys are out and no no decision discussion why um i think that gets a little more difficult now because if all of a sudden 12 guys are out that you've never heard anything about being injured are all of a sudden listed as out right before kickoff you have a pretty good guess as to why let's let's think out loud here for a second um I, I just don't plan to go to the games. I'm not scared or worried or concerned or anything, but I just don't see a purpose to it. Like, I can go hang out in the press box, and we have really good seats and a really good view, but I don't have a rewind mechanism. I don't have access to the play-by-play people who get reports and updates from the team that the team does not give us in the press box, which is maddening. It seems like I can get everything I need from home except that bird's-eye perspective. However, I swear I had nothing to do to this do with this, but... Teams have to warm up in their jerseys now. They can't go out there with nondescript T-shirts that make it impossible to figure out who is dressed and who is not dressed, which drove me nuts last year. It sounds so petty. I understand, but when you're not given information on player availability, the best you can do is grab your binoculars or go down to the field and figure out, okay, that guy's there, that guy's there. That, oh, wait a minute, that guy's missing. What happened? And you find out he's in jeans and he's not playing. I might not be able to do that for my house. So as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm wondering, should I actually go to the game for like an hour for the pregame and then just come home and hang out in my house um, just because I got to get that intel before the game? Or do I rely on them saying in an email or in a text or some sort of announcement, the following players are out? Because they kind of owe the media that much. Like They pretty much said, we understand if you're not coming to the game. I think you got to treat everybody the same, whether they're there or not. I'm... Don't take this the wrong way, but I'm gonna I'm gonna have to I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the media in the press box like they're the kids at my kids' school, and the ones that are home are getting the, the at my kids' school they are split between in person and virtual. Uh, if you want to do in person, you can come do in person. If you want to do virtual, you can do virtual. But the motto of the school has been to make sure that the people who are staying home get the opportunity to do as much as possible and get as much information as possible and learn as much as possible as the people in school. So I'm with you, Mike. You're the kid staying home from school. I think you deserve to get all the same answers that the kids that, that are, are going to the press box tomorrow. Although the question is, do you trust that to happen or do you trust your binoculars better? Maybe I'll... Maybe I won't air this out on a podcast. Maybe I'll be civil and adult-like and just call and ask a question and get an answer. That's a novel concept, right? Well, I hope you got good uh, editing tools on that on that software before we post this then. <laughs> Let's go to editing tools for the game here. I'm assuming that Eastern Kentucky would like to erase the 59 and nothing game from their memory as soon as possible. Um, I don't know how they do that or what, I don't know, what defines a better memory here. Perhaps they score, but... They're going to lose, and they're going to lose by a lot. I don't think there's any question about that. They are 40-and-a-half-point underdogs, depending on where you get your information. It's a little high, a little low. 
but it's pretty much right around there. Um, I, I have a hard time. This is bad because I've been looking so forward to the first game and actually talking about college football and just seeing things that we've talked about. I just can't get interested in this team because they were so bad and just their mission kind of deflating for me. Let's just play eight games and make some money. But then again, I kind of like it because let those guys play eight games and maybe they make something of it and they're all back next year and they're better for it. They have a big advantage. It's a proud program. So there is something noble in it. And I kind of admire that, but I just think about the 60 minutes that I had to pay attention to them and they just don't move the needle for me very much because I watched them. It looked miserable. And even if they're better, they're not going to be near West Virginia. I'm kind of with you with that. I, you know, obviously, hey, first game back, we didn't even think we were going to have sports for a while there, and and it's here or almost here. Um, so there's some excitement there. But when I was thinking about this game a week ago or so, b- before they played, before Eastern Kentucky played Marshall, I had some ideas in my head. What am I going to be looking for from West Virginia, from certain players or certain schemes, certain whatever? And then after seeing them get throttled by Marshall, 59 nothing, and they're going to come in, and I don't, I don't know what I can see that's going to make a difference about how I feel or what I can even analyze. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like if I'm looking at a certain player, let me my example here, one of the first things I wanted to see was Nick Troy Fortune because there seems to be this, I don't want to say misconception, but an assumption that – Hey, he's solid. We're good on that side of the ball. You know, that that side of the field is shut down in the passing game. And sure, I mean, he's a true freshman. He played and he did he did okay last year, but he also, because of the depth, kind of just walked right into the two deep. Um, and then because of injuries, kind of got gifted a couple starts. And even with that, he still only had a couple hundred snaps total all year long. Like he wasn't out there a ton. Um, I think if I'm, I'm remembering correctly, I'm pulling up right now, 16th uh, in snaps last year on the defensive side of the ball uh, at the same spot as X3 low and behind Shea Campbell, uh, who was, you know, what, the fifth or sixth linebacker at times last year. So I'm not exactly chalking it up to, hey, this guy's solid and we're good and we're done. I wanted to see him in action. I wanted to see him kind of warm up before he got into the Big 12 play, but then Eastern Kentucky goes out and completes what 10 of 16 passes for 80 yards and an interception. What am I going to learn from him defending Eastern Kentucky in the passing? Nothing. I don't think <laughs> they're, they have some speedy FBS level receivers. In fact, I think their two starters are from UConn and Tennessee. So there's some talent. Uh, there. Hold on, Mike. Hold on, Mike. Did you just say UConn? And FBS talent in the same in the same sentence. I will not besmirch someone who flees Randy Edsel. <laughs> okay, it's against right. everything That's I stand fair. for. That's fair. Um, so like, there's it's a good simulation. I'm not sure it's the same as even Wheaton and James, but that's good. The, I think the big question is who plays quarterback for them because neither one of those guys looked like they were worthy of pitching and catching to those guys, and they couldn't stand up against Marshall's pressure and their coverage. So. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. Like they started Parker McKinney, who's started for three years, even though he's a redshirt sophomore. They brought in Dakota Allen, who had as many punts as passes last season, eight and eight. And I guess they're talking about maybe playing the Nevada transfer. Um, Cayman Curitan, who has some experience, although he kind of floated around different positions. 
And meanwhile, I, I, I don't want to get, like, get too deep in EKU, but they have a kid who was like a dual threat quarterback for the 6A state champion in Florida a couple years ago who played at a really big high school. Um, Isaiah Velez was the quarterback at Miami Northwestern. Always a good program, led him through a state championship run. And he's just sitting there wearing the Trent Jackson penny, calling him plays. And I wonder, like, he must think, I guess, if he's not getting in above these guys. But perhaps it changes at the end of the season. I don't know. But I just don't think it matters, like you're saying, any type of simulation here because they 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 couldn't do anything in the passing game. And I think even if you have a good day defensively, is it a good day defensively or is it just bad offense by a team that didn't score against Marshall? And by the way, didn't score against Louisville last year in a FBS game. So they are on quite a shutout streak against FBS opponents. No pressure to West Virginia's defense. Do you think there's, I mean, I guess there's always, it's going to be better than whatever it was last week, whatever you want to call that. I, I'm under the assumption, I'm kind of thinking here that they might be better in week two than they were in week one, that you're going to get a better opponent that West Virginia is going to get a better version of EKU than Marshall did just because they had that week one to kind of try everything out um, and, and get all the first game jitters out of them. And I'm not, not in no means am I saying that they're going to give West Virginia a game. I'm not. If West Virginia does not win this game by four or five touchdowns, it's a, probably a disappointment. I say probably because it depends on you know what's going on, but I think four or five touchdowns at minimum to not be a disappointment. But do you think maybe they're going to give West Virginia a little bit better game? Might give them some different looks. Yeah, let's let's give Marshall some credit. Um, the quarterback was on, but they have talent on offense. Their offensive line is good. They have a legitimate running game, and their defense is going to be nice. So that's fine. And they've been practicing for a long, long time. They were supposed to be a week zero game, remember? So they've oh, been yeah. out there and they've been humming for a little bit. So they're prepared and. I don't know if they scripted things or if they just completely rehearsed what they started with and it worked perfectly, but they were, they were out the barn fast. And Eastern Kentucky's had a really jagged off season start, stop um, players, leaving position group, skipping meetings, just tumult with a first year head coach. They look spooked. They look like they got, they got knocked on their heels. They never got going again. So I can't believe that that part is going to repeat itself just because they've been out there once. Can West Virginia come out on fire? Sure. You think the resistance would be a little bit better. And then I would imagine that the coaching staff got rid of four or five things they can't do and replaced them with maybe one or two things they want to try. Um, you kind of pair things down. So yeah, I, it can't be as bad. So I think you're going to see a better effort. I don't think it's going to be anything rivaling a challenge, like on the scoreboard, physical challenge, maybe you make them punt a few times. Maybe you don't let them go seven for seven with seven touchdowns in the red zone. Maybe you get more than one scoring opportunity in all your possessions. I don't know, but like, I just can't see it being competitive. Um, but I think it's a talented team that have a number of FBS transfers and, and they have some players. I just don't think they know what to do with it yet. I don't know how you're going to do it against um, a team that you really can't predict what West Virginia is going to do on defense and, and have a little behavior on offense because you have new coordinators, new ideas, excuse me, new new leads on defense <laughs> and a new coordinator on offense. It could just be, it could take a time. It's not a great recipe for Eastern Kentucky for sure. By the way, defensively, just an, oh. a, a great evolution to the next step of massaging titles to please everybody. Just, uh, again, we discussed how it needed to happen. They couldn't do defensive coordinator, but that was that was a new one for me. When when a die is the offensive, excuse me, defensive coordinator at uh, FIU next year, hypothetical here, will he have defensive lead on his resume? 
is that going to be on his bio on the website? You know how they have that little panel to the right where it's oh, yeah. Curry Jobs. Is he going to be? Is he going to be cornerback coach slash secondary lead? I, I feel like you have to. I feel like you have to. All right. Okay. Um, I think we, we probably could go over things we're excited to see, and that would be a longer conversation. And it's probably obvious stuff. Like you could tick off names like Bryce Wheaton or Vandarius Cowan. I think we spent a lot of time talking about those things and writing about those things. Um, you know, how will they pass the ball down the field? How will they run the ball? Can they get pressure? All stuff we're excited and curious to see. Let's flip that around, though, because the stuff we haven't talked about yet, these are the things that people don't converse about at cocktail parties or the night before the game. Are you worried about anything? Are you curious, concerned about a group's reaction, a player's reaction? And I'll give you one. No offense, but I'm just curious. Um, I think Daryl Porter's going to play, and he's got great momentum, and I think people want him to be there as a second-line guy and maybe take over a starting job in the future, maybe not this year, but certainly perhaps next year. Um, but I'm worried about maybe just an average day or maybe just like a freshman day and what that might do to him or what people might think about coaches and what they say about players behind closed doors and preseason that no one else can see. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, they said he was good and he gave up a touchdown or he gave up 80 yards. What does that mean about Bryce Wheaton? What does that mean about Van Darius Count? What does that mean about those guys who receive similar praise? Um, and that puts a lot on Porter. I know that, but that's one guy I'm curious about. I'm concerned about. I want to see him hang against again FCS talent that does have some FBS bona fides. Um, I like it. I was trying to when I when I was going through the top opposing defenders for West Virginia this season. I actually came across a handful of guys that were decent for Eastern Kentucky last year. Um, you wouldn't know it by the way things went in week one against Marshall when Marshall was able to do whatever it is they wanted to do. Um, but I would like to see what's going to happen at those tackle positions. I guess it makes sense that, you know, the two biggest concerns I think we have for this team are cornerback and tackle. Correct me if I'm wrong in a second, but uh, that that's the two places I'm going to look. You mentioned Darryl Porter and wanting to see him adjusting as a true freshman. I want to see these, these, two tackles in their first real experience, mostly um, Yusebu. I mean, I know Hughes isn't exactly a grizzled veteran, but he at least saw time last year, at least got one start last year. So I'd like to see Yusebu over there on the blind side. And although it's, it, you know, it, it's asked a lot, but it's an inferior opponent. I think he should try to have a pretty much as much of a flawless day as you can possibly have for your very first start. Hmm. Okay. Um, I like that. I'm also. Hmm. You don't like that. No, no, I do like that. You like that. No, no, I do like, I think it's, I mean, I think it's a natural thing, but I'm also, again, I'm worried because again, first start for these guys. And you're right. They had some guys, they had two true freshmen who were kind of off the radar, get sacks last week. And they have a a former, you know, kind of four-star guy, Taj McClung from Duke who plays up front and, and, so they have some talent. I think if you're on your heels and you think these guys got rolled 59 nothing last week, you probably got the wrong mindset there. So I think if, if they struggle, you got to worry about that. Or if they're mediocre, you got to worry about that because it's going to get better in a hurry. Granted, you kind of have to afford them the same benefit of the doubt that they get better between their first and second game. But still, if the first game is rocky, ugh, I think it underlines a lot of concerns too. Um, I'm worried about I'm worried about special teams. They got a really good kickoff returner. 
And I don't know that Brown is completely satisfied yet about coverage and blocking. And then, you know, Evan Stanley was 11 for 17 last year. And I wonder if he wiggles one or two. Do you see leg maybe get a late game kick? I don't know. Um, it's the first live time in a long, long time for these guys. And again, with no spring, you know, they don't get a lot of action in the spring even. A lot of it's just kind of, you know, scrimmage situations to put them on the spot. They don't do anything in a spring game typically, right? Maybe a field goal or PAT, maybe. But you try to avoid injuries, especially at that, at that stage of the spring. And then you're just off. So what can you do to simulate the real game experience? I don't know. The only thing is that, like, their practice has probably been a lot like a game because it's been quiet. There haven't been crowds screaming at them in practice, but there won't be in a game either, um, home or away. So that might be okay. But I think that's one thing that hasn't gotten a lot of attention. Brown does seem like he was concerned about it. And then when it's live, it's different. Um, I will say this, though. I haven't seen, apart from those snaps the first game, um, just a little bit of football I've watched in different parts of other games. I haven't seen major, major uh, special teams malfunction. So perhaps I'm overstating that one. I don't, I don't hate that idea either, Mike. I, um, the, the kicking thing has me a little worried. Uh, I mentioned it in one of my stories this week, the three goals for three sides. I think watching Staley last year, he, he took a step back, I think, is, is, is a nice way of putting it compared to 2018 and really struggled. And there's been times, I mean, 2018, I feel like was a completely different kicker than what we saw in limited time in 2017 and what we saw mm-hmm. last year. I mean, he was, it, it, from the last half of 2017 and then from last year, you could not go for a field goal if it was more than 38, 39 yards. You couldn't. And that just completely wipes out a whole bunch of options and changes the entire outlook of that game and changes everything you're trying to do there or what you feel comfortable doing. So, Getting some consistency from him would be nice. I think that'd be good, like you said, if, if we could see him. Obviously, it wouldn't be great news for the offense if West Virginia's kicking four field goals or something in this game. But if he can come out and knock down, say, three of three or four of four or whatever and just get some kicks in, get him through the uprights and, and kick start, for lack of a better word, a solid season, something that looked more like 2018, that could really help down the road. Last one, we've been trying to – gauge our expectations for Saturday's game based on what we've watched from early games. And I've asked coaches and coordinators this, you know, hey, what did you see on TV that reinforced a concern or a red flag that you had? And what has maybe opened your eyes? And I hadn't thought about that. And typical stuff, you know, special teams, you know, the communication from the sideline of the field, just rusty stuff, right? Um, mm-hmm. But tackling is a big one. And did you watch any of the BYU Notre Dame game? I did not. I did catch the what was it the Navy game where and I'm the sorry, coach yeah, said BYU Navy. Yeah, the, yeah, the coach said afterwards that they had done little to no tackling. Yeah, and said it like it killed him. It was a mistake, and that he realized early on they were in serious, serious trouble. Um, and I'm now I'm curious about that because who's played a game Eastern Kentucky who is not West Virginia? It doesn't change the way I feel about the outcome, but I could see. I could see a big run. I could see, you know, a bad coverage on a deep ball, um, a poor angle on a, on a punt or a kickoff coverage, something like that where it's just live and you're like, oh, boy, because they haven't had that yet. Um, Marshall didn't suffer for that, but neither one of them played a game. Eastern Kentucky's played a game. They're a little bit more used to it. And, you know, 
do you do you get the sense listening from Brown that that he thinks he's accomplished enough physically for it? Because it seems like there were a couple of times he talked to us in a row where he said, we're behind physically, we're behind physically. We're going to have to go a little bit longer past camp. We're going to have to do a little bit more about us rather than Eastern Kentucky, which he can get away with. I get that. But I wonder if um, if he's accomplished everything in that physical part that he's hoping to accomplish. I don't think they're as far off as Navy was. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they've hit as much, obviously, as they have in the past. But I feel like they've been doing enough. Uh, I mean, they've been having full scrimmages. At least, again, we haven't been able to see them. No one's been allowed to see them. But based off what they're saying and the schedules they're giving us, there has been full contact. There has been situational drills. There has been basically full scrimmages with uh, a full uh, referees, set of referees and everything, calling um, penalties and all that. So I think I think they've kind of got the physical nature of it and some game-type situations enough that, again, I'd be a little more concerned if they were playing Oklahoma State right now. But maybe the, that was step one and step two, and then playing Eastern Kentucky is kind of step three leading up to Oklahoma State in two weeks. Mm-hmm. It's got a game plan, execution, how much you put on the table, how much you keep in your pocket here. I don't know um, I don't know exactly what they have and they can do because we haven't seen anything yet. And I'm not sure what Parker and Leslie and Adai want to do on offense and defense, but I'm going to say that they want Mike Gundy and his coordinators to be as uncertain as you and I are. So let's just assume that this is going to be vanilla. And I even think that you're going to be vanilla just practically in the first game because you don't know. Like You don't want to go out and do a ton of exotic stuff because you don't know yet. So give it another week or so in practice before you have to show it in a game. But I think that you know simple stuff here is going to be effective because you should be able to move the opponent around. And also low risk, um, highly effective, highly efficient stuff is probably the way to go. So it might be kind of boring. But two things like I would I would wonder about, and I'll let you answer this one here. They script ideas or plays. I don't know if they have like 15 plays, and then when it comes to play 16, they don't know what they want to do. But they have an idea of things they want to throw out there, see how the defense reacts, or try it and take a shot based on where they are on the field, and then be able to use that intel the rest of the game. And that's pretty common with how they do stuff. Would you go out with a script like that, or would you say, screw it, we got to get outside zone going while we have a game here and let's run outside zone a bunch. Let's run some mesh a bunch. Let's give our quarterback some RPO stuff and just do a couple of things again and again and again, again, provided that you think you're going to be able to move the ball and move the other team and knock it into a shootout and knock it into a situation where you got to pull out stuff and be way better than you expected to be when you woke up uh, two different tactics. Do you go out and work on stuff as you would in a regular game? Or do you go out and treat this like for lack of a better phrase, a dressed up scrimmage? and work on the stuff you got to work on while the game is still competitive and good guys are in for both teams. I would work on the staples to begin with. I'd work on the basics, the things you're going to try to run all year that, you know, it's not, it's not tricks. It's not schemes. It's just, here's what we're going to do. Try to stop us. I'd start with that. And then assuming that you could build up a little bit lead I'd keep track if I were Neil Brown or somebody on the staff, one of the analysts, that's that this is their job. I'd keep track of things that we want to do as 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 a program, if I were an analyst, and where they struggled. Like, hey, we really want to try to run this play or get this guy the ball or run this route. And we struggled to do it during scrimmages. 
let's run that. I want to run that and that and that. Here's a list of seven plays that we need to run perfectly, and we haven't done a good job of it. I want to run it, run it again and again. I want to run these seven. Uh, they may not be staples, but they're things that you're going to need later in the year, and maybe you're struggling with them during camp, and and I would try to run those a few times. Um, but outside of that, Mike, I, I, I'm coaching flag football for the first time in my life, mm-hmm. and we have it, it's five on five, six and seven year olds. It's five on five, and I hope there's a quarterback, a center, two receivers, and a running back. And I literally hold up a card that says one, two, three, or four, and that is the person <laughs> that I want the quarterback to hand it off to or throw it to, and that is it. And that is how I would handle tomorrow's game against Eastern Kentucky. Just hold up a card and just 83. So it's Sam James. Just go right on down the field just like that. How much are you cheating? <laughs> Not enough. I, I, didn't re- I, did, I didn't get started on the recruiting season early enough to, to really recruit those kids with those uh, late December birthdays and sneak them in before the age deadline. So uh, I, I'm a little bit behind the eight ball there. But, but it's, hey, it's, it's year zero is what I like to call it. So <clears> look out for me next year. Um, before we segue smoothly into the next topic that I think you thought I was going there, but I'm going to do one thing. What's a what's a surprise outcome, a player, a performance, something that you've heard about, you've gotten an idea that maybe is happening that um, people should not be surprised if it happens on Saturday. doesn't mean it will, but people shouldn't be surprised if it happens. Wow, shouldn't be surprised. Um, I don't know. My, I feel like we've covered most everything. I, obviously, the Daryl Porter thing's big news. Sam Brown, I think, is one they underplayed. Mm. I remember, but what was it like week one or week two of fall camp? And we were like, there's always that kid, that young guy. And we were discussing whether or not it was David Vincent O'Coley, I think, at the time, or, or if it was someone else. But there's always guys that are younger that the coaching staff, not just this coaching staff, all coaching staffs, will kind of just not really mention for a while just to try to not really bring it up. I mean, they're freshmen. You don't, you want to ease them into it. You don't want to just start heaping praise on them before they ever even suit up for a real-life game. So that's not, there's nothing wrong with it. But there's always a guy or two every year. And maybe it's Sam Brown. I mean, there wasn't much talk about him until this week, and obviously some some big praise from Parker. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so it, it makes me wonder – if we're just not really talking about him, not talking about him, not talking about him, and then Parker just effusing praise all over him right before the game, and he shows up in the two deep, just just you know keep an eye out, I, keep an eye. I, out. I I don't want to make too big of a deal out of that, but I'm going to make a big deal out of that. One, Parker is an extension of Brown. They're friends, and and the glove and the hand are tight. There, he is not going to just gush unless it's evident. Number one, number two. He chopped down Bryce Wheaton <laughs> later in the same conversation saying, eh, he's made some mistakes. He's been inconsistent, but he's earned it. But like, yeah, well, he's got to prove it. You know, everybody said that Bryce Wheaton has pretty much walked on water during camp. Right. And then the next thing that Parker says is like, Brown's awesome. Love him. Hall of Fame. Put him in Canton. And then Wheaton, eh, he's got to prove it, you know. So that was that was unusual to me. So it makes me think that Brown has probably got it. Um, and I just I just wonder, like, is it legit? Because the guys he's recruited and coached, are high-talent guys who made it to the NFL and will make the NFL. And he's saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, tell me if I'm wrong, but, like, more talented than a lot of these guys? As good as he's had? That's that's pretty high, right? Yeah. I mean, you did you did a whole story on all these guys, that the, the, especially the small. Now, Sam Brown's, Sam Brown's not small, but 
about smaller receivers that Parker's worked with that turned out to be, uh, you know, NFL type talents when uh, maybe a lot of other people didn't think they'd get there, mostly because of their size. But for him to come out and be talking about a true freshman receiver like that, just again, keep an eye out, people. Keep he, an eye out. He, he coached KJ Hamler last year. Right. Pretty good. Uh, my surprise. My surprise would be uh, just to continue this conversation. Uh, I think they really like Bryce Brand. Um, I think I think that he's going to be a guy who gets in just because the game is at that spot, and he's going to do some things, make it. Oh, okay. Here's another guy that that we can chalk up for a couple of plays or TFLs or sacks during the season. Um, I'm not sure he's going to play a whole lot because of who they got at Bandit, but he's a different guy, a different look. He's a bit of a uh, a curveball at that position. I think he might be a fun guy that benefits from the blowout here too. Uh, real quick, last one. Do we see Hubbard, Dobson, and or Young? No, no, and no. I don't think we see any of them. Not yet. It seems really strange that we're this far into it and nothing happened yet. Um, last question, Chris. Mm-hmm. If something happens and Neil Brown tests positive and can't go, what is the succession plan? Because this apparently is something that's being talked about in all the FBS locker rooms. If Lincoln Riley can't go, if Mac Brown can't go, if Nick Saban can't go, if Neil Brown can't go, the game goes on. Um, coaching staffs were not part of the playing parameters of the Big 12 or any conference released. So if your head coach isn't there, got to play which means you got to restructure your staff and go you could put up another guy from the ga staff or from i guess from any staff you could put him on the active staff for the game but someone's got to be the head ball coach who's your pick i i think the pick is going to be or would be matt moore i mean i i think with the restructuring of the roles last year uh, or in this offseason when they brought parker on and named him offensive coordinator with chad scott uh for those who don't know Last season, Chad Scott was co-offensive coordinator with Matt Moore, the offensive lines coach. And then, obviously, now Parker is. And they're not going to have three co-offensive coordinators or offensive coordinators. But So Matt Moore instead got the title of assistant head coach, which now there's no – I didn't see anything in his contract when we got that uh, about that. Like he's definitively the guy in situations like this. But I'd have to think that maybe that means that he is going to be the guy if something like that comes up. Yeah, Parker then gets to um, focus on the offense coordinator stuff, and I would assume calling plays. Um, but, boy, some people don't like offensive line coaches not being devoted to the offensive line. So that would be tricky there. Now, they could put Tyler Orlowski in charge of the offensive line, and I think be feel pretty good about continuity there. Uh, I have two ideas for you, though. You might be right there, but I would think that Parker gets some – some some thought here in conversation because he's the only guy who has head coaching experience. Yeah, um, six games, all losses as the interim coach of Purdue uh, several years back, and I would imagine that he could probably wear the different hats there. The trouble is now, who's your offensive coordinator? Who's calling plays? Can he do all of that? That's tough too. And then an outsider like could Castile do it? Because that way you got your offensive line coach in the offensive line, you got your coordinator still coordinating the offense. Um, the linebackers thing, yeah, you're going to lose your outside linebackers, but could uh, could one of their GAs come up and do it? Could one of their analysts come up and do it? You know, could Casey Vance, for example, coach linebackers for a day? Could Julian Miller pitch in, pitch in there? Could Javon Johnson pitch in? 
I don't know. Maybe they could do that just for a game or like if maybe it's two games. But Castile is the veteran of that group. Never been a head coach, but I'm sure wants to and would be able to do the the um, impression for a week or two for a couple hours a day. Um, I kind of like the Castile idea because that means that you have fewer ripples on offense. You don't have your offensive line coach diverted. You don't have your offensive coordinator diverted. Hey, put Castile in charge. Why not? And then just complete the storybook for him, right? Right. Yeah. So from from off the out of the analyst booth right into the head coaching gig. Um, I don't hate it. I, I was trying to look somewhere else because I agree with your 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 point about not wanting to disrupt the offensive line coach. Because from my perspective, I feel like the offensive line coach is probably one of the most active with actual coaching. Mm-hmm. during the coaching the players during the game like whenever you see the guys come off the field and come to the sideline i feel like the offensive line coach is right there in that offensive line huddle as much as you know like as far as position groups obviously linebackers with linebackers and dbs with dbs but i feel like he's more hands-on in general than a lot of position coaches when it comes to that so i think he could he could really get tied up into that every single time the offensive offense comes off the field He's going to want to go over there and talk to the offensive line coach. Castillo would be a good pick. My only concern yeah. would be, my only concern would be, you know, how is the rest of the staff going to handle a guy, you know, a guy that wasn't originally part of this group that came in as an analyst that got thrust into a linebacker job out of necessity and then getting thrusted right up to head coach kind of out of necessity. Now I get, it's not actual head coach, but taking on, you know, being in charge of everyone, unless it was, you know, made pretty clear, like, hey, we're all making decisions for our position groups here instead. I don't know. Ideally, you don't have to worry about it, but it certainly is something I hadn't considered that a lot of people had, so I figured that we should do that. Uh, Before we go, Big 12 games, anybody on upset watcher? There's a lot of SCS opponents and kind of meddling FBS opponents. I'm looking at you, UTEP, as well as Missouri State, Eastern Kentucky, Houston Baptist, but... Uh, there's a couple, I don't know, starch collars, so to speak, that are going to line up uh, across some of these teams. Um, anybody that you're you're worried about, and your best bets are up. You have some emotions involved in some of these games, but <laughs> should a should a Big Twelve team be worried? I want to say no, because in my best bets, I bet on a couple of them to win. I don't think I bet on any of them to lose. But you, sorry, Kansas. I, I want to say. You always have to worry about Kansas, but you especially have to worry about Kansas when they're playing the team that beat them last year. Coastal Carolina beat them. So <laughs> I think it's something to be concerned about. I, I think Kansas, I thought Kansas was going to beat them last year. I, it, it broke my heart because they were part of my bets, best bets against Coastal Carolina last year and could only muster seven points at home against Coastal Carolina. And they have some talent on offense, but all those same guys were there last year and they didn't have it. They, they were worse at quarterback and the same at running back and receiver. So are they going to be able to muster more than seven points? I sure hope so. I think so. I bet on them to do so, but I didn't bet a lot. So always keep your eye on Kansas. It's a 10 PM game, by the way, (laughs) it's a, it's the pac 12 at night spot. So that has high potential to be very weird. Hey, don't you think that. they should move that to noon with because um, Baylor, Louisiana Tech was supposed to be the noon Fox game. 
So what do you think they're going to do now? Are they just going to make Kansas State, Arkansas State, like instead of regional, they're going to make it national? I think noon Fox is Arkansas State, Kansas State, and that was going to be my pick. Uh, Arkansas State lost, but looked good. They have a good coach, good coaching staff. They're talented. They played two quarterbacks. It's a terrible idea. I'm, I'm guessing they'll pick one. And I just, I just have question marks about Kansas State. Um, boy, first time out for five new offensive linemen. I know that they reloaded some skill positions on offense and defense, but I wonder about that. That would be a worry for me. I think that they're 10 and a half, but that's your noon game now. Um, I, I honestly, I would move Kansas Coastal Carolina to yesterday. <laughs> I don't want to watch that at all. <laughs> right. um, uh, but yeah, I think that would be, man, if Les Miles can't pull that one out. Um, and again, he's going to have the stage. FS1, 10 o'clock, that's going to be all about him. So we'll see what the Mad Hatter has up his sleeve there. I don't hate I, I don't hate the late night, but if you are a, a degenerate enough to be up that late watching Kansas, Coastal Carolina, you're my kind of people. So good. Over under is fifty six and a half. <laughs> and they scored nineteen last year. Right. Nineteen. <laughs> uh, there's gotta be a typo. All right. Well that, that's probably we probably shouldn't go down that road. Uh, I have nothing else to add to this conversation, Chris, to you, because we're gonna be doing this again. Uh, one after the game and then we'll put up a thread on the board. Watch the game, ask questions that you need to answer that you can't answer yourself, or maybe the broadcast crew or coaches can't answer for you. Uh, drop us a line that we will be back after the game at some point. Sunday, maybe recording from Monday. We'll see how it goes, but uh, a Q&A podcast to tie a bow around the game that just was and move forward to the next one. And, um, and that's about all the bookkeeping I have there. That sounds good to me. Uh, we will, what, over the next couple of days, we're going to have a couple more preview pieces. Uh, I'm I'm putting my predictions in writing on Friday, game by game. Uh, we can try to guilt Mike into joining, uh, pressure him into it right here on the podcast, or or we'll let him slide and we can talk about it after the game when, again, I, I don't think whatever we see on Saturday is going to change either of our opinions for the rest of the year. Um, and what else we got uh, coming up? I got a couple of recruiting notes. And we'll have, oh, I see your by the numbers piece already in there. That's a fan favorite. And I'm going to be doing a couple things, something new this year, uh, some PFF pro football focus kind of grades. You know, I, we had this a couple years ago and there was some interest in it. Um, some, is angst the right word? You're the journalism major. Opposition. Mike. Opposition from the coaching staff uh, at the time. Uh, a lot of coaches feel that it's not exactly representative of what happened in the game. So don't want to just sit there and list them all, but we'll, we'll look at some of those, some of those grades, some of the players, some of the matchups, and I'm going to use it to, to kind of give a couple key matchups for each game. Again, we'll sample with it a little bit for Eastern Kentucky because one, they don't have FCS grades. So no Eastern Kentucky players have grades. And two, uh, I, just not much to discuss about matchups with this one. I don't think again, nothing that's going to change my mind. So uh, it'll get more detailed as the year goes along. Hey, uh, before we go 90 seconds here, uh, West Virginia massaging the rules on recruiting with a big visitor this weekend. Massaging. I like it. They're not, they're not outright breaking the rules. Like I, I uh, promote, but um, yes, uh, Saturday, uh, as we discussed, no fans at the game. The only people out of the game are, Family, essential personnel, and uh, limited media members. And NCAA still has a ban on in-person recruiting, but West Virginia is still going to have a four-star top 100 recruit on campus 
in Fort Lauderdale's Marvin Jones Jr. His dad is Marvin Jones Sr., who played was an All-American linebacker at Florida State, played in the NFL for a decade. Uh, he is actually the brother of true freshman cornerback Daryl Porter Jr. Um, and his mom, their mom, is going to bring Jones Jr. up to Morgantown with her to watch Porter Jr.'s first game of the year, first first collegiate game of his career. So that's a great way. Again, it, 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 this was the plan all along, and it's not going to change because of the rules because he is family. He is allowed to be there. Uh, he will be limited in what he can do um, It's because it, it's not a recruiting visit. He can't go. He's not going to be able to check a bunch of stuff out, I don't believe. I was told that he probably wouldn't be allowed into the facilities or to check out the weight room and all that stuff. Now, families have been in there and are in there before and after games and on game weekends. I'm told this might not be recruiting related because, because again, families have been doing that. I think it might be COVID related just for safety reasons. You don't want guys going into the locker room that haven't been tested and come from out of state and stuff like that. So I don't think family members are going to be in the locker room in the facilities, but he will be there. I am told he will be allowed to speak with the coaching staff again, just like other family members, but Let's see how it goes. It's an interesting thing. We're all kind of learning it as we go together. Uh, so first for everything. All right. Was that was well, that ninety uh, seconds or that was no? uh, times two? But it's okay. I was more <laughs> worried about your clock than mine for a change. But uh, let's wrap it up then. Uh, we'll do this again sometime soon. But that is all for this time. Until next time, I'm Mike Casaza. and I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you later.